think it's time anymore. I don't know. I give Stop. up. I give up on life. I don't know if you guys are here. Hi guys! <laughs> I appreciate you. Welcome to the Blackocracy. Welcome Black. Well, welcome Black. I didn't mean to say that. Welcome Black. Well, welcome Black. New T-shirt ideas. Don't yes. take it before we do it. Don't even think about it. Got a timestamp. <laughs> it's your boy Shine. <laughs> and this is your girl. You're Jess. you're a woman. You're a woman. Yes, yes, woman with a wide. With a wide, we go. We go be extra. Because it is Women's History Month. Hey. Isn't it just entirely appropriate that the world come to an end during <laughs> Women's History Month? Very appropriate, actually. I mean, like, at least it skipped Black History Month. Very appropriate. Just barely, though. We almost didn't make it out of February or January, man. <laughs> Black History Month was kind of a bummer. Oh, goodness. And guys, if you haven't heard our um, first two episodes, you know, we're trying to get this whole thing a lot more consistent. But please, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, go give it a listen. Check it out. After you're done with this one. Um, This is, again, the Blackocracy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Got a lot to get off our chests here. Um, We're going to start with the obvious uh, elephant in the room. Uh, that Roni. <laughs> so if you guys don't know, <laughs> which it would be, it would be probably literally impossible for you not to know. Yeah. But if you are somehow not living on Earth, um, the coronavirus has struck the Rona. The Rona. Dun dun dun. Um, yeah, and literally, it's all the world can talk about or think about now at this point. It's pandemic, guys. Pandemic. Um, it has hit every country and some worse than others. Yeah. Um, they're still trying to do like research and figure the ins and outs. There are some information slides and things like that available online. Um, and I could quote them, but I would probably do a disservice because I'm not sure how accurate any of them are. Right. But yeah, if you want to go online, I think the most uh, helpful resource would be to check out the uh, World Health Organization and the CDC, both of them. Um, they're committing a lot of resource and time to researching the disease. It can give you all of your minute by minute, second by second, day by day updates on what's going on, who's quarantined, who's not, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so, of course, what we're talking about at this point is the coronavirus, which I just want to make the very important distinction because I keep seeing this misinformation floating around that, you know, because, of course, folks want to make conspiracies all the time. They just want to jump to certain conclusions without looking at things or thinking practically about it. Um, Yes, the coronavirus in and of itself is not anything new. It is not. We all know this now. We all know this now. Yes, you will go to the store and buy a can of Lysol and read the back and it will say coronavirus. Yeah. We get it. Yes, it's said that for quite a long time now. It is not any type of government conspiracy or anything like that. I'm sorry to say. As we all should have learned in basic high school biology... All things have mutations and they have species and they adapt and they replicate. Mm -hmm. Yes, even viruses. Yes. 
Okay, so there are different strains, children, <laughs> and this particular strain is a different strain. Exactly. That we are calling all together COVID nineteen at this point, right? Yes. So that's the one that we're dealing with. It is not the same good old coronavirus. <laughs> good old, you know, the right? good old, good old fashioned kind. You just put some Lysol on it, right? And go outside. So this is a different situation, folks. Drink some ginger ale. Okay. Much more contagious, much more quickly moving, much more dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and you know, people have said this over and over again, but the most you can really do is just make sure that you are washing your hands, keeping <laughs> your hands out of your face, which I have a lot of difficulty doing. Yeah. Um, you know, using hand, sanit hand sanitizer, but washing your hands um, after coming in contact is great. I mean, if you do not want to be in the vicinity of people, I think it's about six feet that you should keep between you and other people just in case they cough, um, things like that. You know, just really practical um, ways of trying to prevent catching this thing. Um, though it is a, a more dangerous strain, or I think it's a more communicable yeah. um, disease than previously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a lower mortality rate than let's say that I think it's the common flu, but also this thing is also a new iteration. So mm -hmm. these things are not completely fleshed out. Um, there's lots of research going into completely figuring out COVID-19. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just be careful. And um, I would also say that if you are around older people and you are a younger person, you know, you can be a carrier, um, and this this virus is uh, fatal to a lot of people who are over 60. So um, I was seeing information, which please look this up and verify it for yourself, please. <laughs> I am not at this point in my life, nor have I ever been up until this point, you know, uh, affiliated with the World, Horf the World uh, Health, Health Organization, Organization. <laughs> yet. Um, <laughs> so, you know, don't quote me, mm -hmm. but... Um, like I, I've seen a lot of different uh, types of information floating around, like um, with, you know, like women of a certain age can be carriers without symptoms, mm -hmm. and um, and when I say of a certain age, I mean like around my age group, so like twenties and thirties. Like yeah. we can be carriers without symptoms. That may or may not be true. Look it up. But I'm just saying. Um, and at this point, at least CNN has reported that it's at least 125,000 reported cases. Now yeah. that's not deaths. Yeah. Um, that is is a different number, obviously. But yeah, it's a lot going on. So, um, and, but the hysteria is real right now. The yeah. hysteria is absolutely nuts. Everything is shutting down everywhere. And Trump has ordered a national, I mean, uh, states like New Jersey and New York have already issued a state of emergency. emergency. Yeah. But now Trump has done a federal level um, state of emergency for the nation. Um, and if you guys don't really completely understand what that means, that really just means opening up more funding for different organizations and different state agencies to be able to tackle this specific crisis. Um, also, I would look up online to see if Trump has laid out any kind of plan, plan but I, I strongly doubt it's going to be a substantive one. Because that is not his consistent pattern. <laughs> the big complaint right now is the testing is mm -hmm. um, the available amount of tests across the nation. I think somewhere it's like 7,000 tests that are currently available. Um, and if you do any kind of math, you would understand how small 
that quantity is compared to the actual population of this here in the United States. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of information about um, there being really expensive yeah. testing measures. Um, yeah, just, just making it really like impossibly um, accessible to folks. Yeah. It's a class thing, um, but I, from what I heard, they're trying to pressure Trump to make the testing free, and I think that that was part of it, is for him to make the testing free um, as a part of the state of emergency. But again, verify that. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy time, and it, it, it is reflective of the class differences between the working class and the uh, the top one percent in this country, because you have places like um, the Utah Jazz and others that have received tests for their entire team. Mm-hmm. Yet people who are struggling to make ends meet cannot get access to tests. So that really shows the the stark difference there. Um, you definitely have instances like I think you were talking about earlier, um, you know, off mic obviously, mm-hmm. um, where in places like Italy, like surprisingly, there are thousands of deaths. Um, that to me, you know, like I'm glad that you mentioned um, the class difference because knowing what we've known about what's going on in Italy in terms of like um, like political climate and um, the treatment of immigrants, especially immigrants of color and what have you, it it is not far from my thoughts to think or to wonder at least where are those deaths coming from and Mm -hmm. if you were to tell me that they were coming from the like you know slum areas where the majority of folks are um, west african immigrants then i wouldn't be shocked yeah or you know like syrian immigrants or Mm -hmm. whomever if you were to tell me that those are the majority of the deaths i wouldn't be shocked um but again, that's just my black spin on it, of course. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. But everybody, um, you already supposed to be washing your hands before. <laughs> you already was supposed to be covering your mouths before. So, you know, do do what do what uh your elders told you <laughs> yeah. however long ago. Wash your dog on hands, cover your dog on mouth, don't be gross. It's really that simple. Um and with that said. Yeah. With that said, well, this is not going anywhere this anytime soon. It's not going soon. anywhere. You know, by the time we talk about this again, who knows? You guys may not be there. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you are. <laughs> All of us may not be here. But since a vaccine won't be available for another year. And it's near. God. Stay in your house. All, all of everything in the stores, like, well, at least, at least the. So I'll just put it this way: in Stop and Shop and in Whole Foods, they are almost completely out, if not completely out, of disinfectant in the shelves and things like that. But when I went to Extra and Super Fresh and you know the more good old bodegas and poppy shops, (laughs) leaning supermarkets and stores. We have plenty of fabuloso to go around. So, yeah. you know, just just one of those, you know, very interesting things that you encounter as a raced person in this country. And with that said, we go right on into the political circus. Oh, God. Yeah, this is the other hysteria. The state of our democracy. And guys, we've been wanting to talk to you about this for months. But I'm glad, too, that things have developed so far as they have. But um, 
talk about anxiety, <laughs> you know, the entire political race. I mean, we have so we have Trump as our president, which is already ridiculous enough. But then you have, you know, the political divide that happens, not just among uh, political people with different political ideas, whether they are conservative or progressive, but then you have the age gap, the race gap, uh, you know, the intersectional differences, and um, it just becomes into a, a big bowl of craziness and chaos. Um, by the time we're recording this, like we had so much lined up to cover before, and it's like everything has moved not only so quickly, but so many things have just happened all at once that like some of it's outdated now. Like we wanted to talk to you guys about Space Force. That's still happening though. <laughs> That's still happening. It's still a thing. The logo <laughs> is very reminiscent of Star Trek. <laughs> it looks like the Star Trek logo. Space Force. <laughs> Space Force. You know, we're only laughing though because it's Trump who is like the president. But if it was like some pragmatic person, we would go, oh, Space Force. Yeah, you need like space exploration but because it's our current president you're just like he probably was watching star trek and then somebody was like you could like make this happen for real and then yeah Yo, my question is like wasn't he someone who stood up to defund nasa he's defunding everything hey did listen he, guys didn't he hate nasa people who vote for trump guess what Everything he says is funding, he's not funding he's it. He's not funding none of that stuff. Did he stand up to defund NASA? Yeah. So what, the, what in Christ is a space <laughs> Like, what are we doing? What is it? And what is it planned to do? What is it here for? Why didn't you just fund NASA? Spreading white patriarchy into Mars. Right. Right. Well, well. <laughs> Such an entertainer that I already told y'all a hell of a long time ago exactly how that's about to go. The plan, I think, the plan is for them to escape. To be honest with you, Corona is hitting the streets, mm -hmm. and even though it, it's not fatal, I mean, it's fatal, but it's not, it's not the zombie apocalypse. But I think they're going to Mars. They're prepping because this whole class split we see for vital medicine, we're gonna see if something major happens, and they're trying to get Mars ready. <laughs> They're getting all the space capsules ready. There's already tours <laughs> that are only available for people who can afford millions of dollars to get oh, on the... No, no, no. What was I just watching that had an update about that? Oh. I want to say it was The Daily Show, maybe. It was either The Daily Show or Last Week Tonight, because, guys, I watch those types of shows avidly. And, no, they just did a report on that, basically saying that the the one company and the, the name escapes me right mm -hmm. now because this is random. We didn't plan on talking about yeah. this. But the one company that was sponsoring these, you know, tour trips to Mars, mm -hmm. it's actually not a company that does any of that. They have like seven scientists on the team at all, just so that they can say things that aren't, you know, completely nonsensical when they do the advertising. But long story short, it is a company that sells advertising it like they really there is no plan didn't the guy in sync though what's the guy he went up there was nah. in sync or back in sync no it's in sync you're talking about um lance right yeah yeah, yeah. Lance. Um, yeah i think it was lance yeah lance Bass, yeah um but yeah so the company really literally has zero plans and like not enough funding at all or anything 
in order to actually create any sort of Mars trip. They have no plan of doing so. It is literally just to advertise and to just sell a story and a you know a fantasy, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And the company has more or less gone belly up. Mm. And those people who have paid that money, they will not get their money back. And they even so far as interviewed this one lady and she's like, oh, well, no. And before you ask, yes, she is. <laughs> she's like, oh, well, no. It's, you know, I still haven't taken a loss. It's, it's really about, um, you know, just believing in something that great and believing in something. I mean, she's a couple million dollars in the hole, y'all. Like, yeah. come on. I mean, well, that's the whole. <laughs> I'm gonna get too Bernie on you guys, but <laughs> the plot, the pie, how it's set up, right? <laughs> as far as wealth in the country, the whole middle class, the whole. I'm talking millions of people represent a slither of one slice yes, of the wealth. Of the entire pie is held by the 1% class. So they can afford to do whatever. They can lose millions and just be like, hey, whatever, yeah, I guys. Mean, and and what's, what's a better indication of that than the fact that um, I'm going to call them, I'm, I'm going to call them, uh, usually I call them El Blumbito. <laughs> but right about now, I'm going to call them. Um, 30 second Mike. 45, 45 calls him Little Mike. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm gonna call him 45 Mike. 45 second <laughs> Mike. Because Michael Bloomberg, literally, he got in the race one minute, spent billions of dollars. Five. He spent $500 million okay, on million. ads. On ads alone. Jesus. He spent that much money. Thank you for the correction. And then almost just as quickly as he was in the race, he was right back the hell out. Like <laughs> his whole he campaign right back out. He spent enough money to and the calculations have been done mm-hmm. to give every single American a dollar and some change. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> literally. It's crazy. <laughs> Why? And for not. And for not. And I mean, you see how the uh Again, not trying to get too Bernie, but it just so happens he's pretty much on the right side of all these things. <laughs> nudge, nudge. I, I, I but, <laughs> you know, we see the corruption where he, you know, this guy who literally historically has donated to Republicans and mm-hmm. to unseat Democrats mm-hmm. in this uh, in, in pr- previous year elections, um, we see a man who's a billionaire who has spent a lot of his time and resources um, to boldly imprison uh, minorities because for whatever self-righteous reasons he gave. Um, And he was allowed to use that money to break the rule and get on the the DNC gave him. He really literally believes because, you know, and, and this is all unfolded within the past like week or two even. He's been interviewed about his position now on mm-hmm. stop and frisk and whatnot. No, he actually does believe 
that crime was reduced and that um, black and Latino folks really are the ones out here committing the crimes and therefore deserve mm-hmm. to be profiled. And the data literally says otherwise. Like quite literally, it's the quite opposite. Quite literally, the complete <laughs> opposite. And he really mm-hmm. actually still believes that regardless. Well, he on the stage, on the debate stage, he said that he no, he no longer believes that. The problem is that it comes off as disingenuous when you were recorded in 2018 exactly. saying you did. And then the same month that you run for president, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your positions have reversed. Yeah, and you have this whole initiative. And while I do understand, um, like he, what I think it's called the Greenland Initiative. He has this whole initiative to help minorities. At this point, you're too far gone. Um, we don't. And then just how he got substantiated to get on the stage in the debate he was his money. Paid his way in. Yeah. Like that's the only way that he was in the election at all. I really do not understand because like as you're describing Mike Bloomberg, every single thing and I hope that you all who are listening notice that as well. Every single thing that you said is actually exactly characteristic of Trump as well. Yeah. Same exact thing, only on the complete opposite side. Exactly. Before he got elected for many years, Trump was putting hella money up with Democratic Democrats, yeah. uh, uh, candidates yeah. of various you know, levels. levels. Yeah. Like, he was all on board with the Democratic Party for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, supported the Clintons, supported this person, supported that person financially. The only difference is, of course, Michael Bloomberg is actually an astute businessman <laughs> and actually, you know, it's a little makes different. businesses thrive yeah. rather than die Fail. a horrible death. Yeah. Um, you know, he's actually articulate, even though he didn't necessarily show that to be the case in these debates, because my girl, Elizabeth Warren, completely demolished your mans. But whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, we we just saw how the whole saga with him unfolded, and no, and you know he's no longer in the race for president, but he has committed money to supporting Biden, yes. which is his purpose all along. You know, mm-hmm. um, Biden was on the stage saying how horrible of a person he is, and of course mm-hmm. Biden accepts the money because who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> and I mean just to even go upon that, we see to even to relate those things. Uh, Bloomberg didn't have the votes to get on the debate stage. Um, while people like Kamala and Booker, um, they had more uh, validity to their run, but they didn't have the funding and the numbers to continue. Um, and then we see those same people who said that Biden was a racist and uh, agreed with segregationists and he was against busing and Kamala was that little girl that needed to be bused to school. and. Um, Cory Booker was against Biden's uh, relationships with segregationists and against um, Biden's characterization of reparations. And then they both proudly endorsed the man and said he was best. He was best to lead America. Um, You have Booker, who actually, upon his endorsement, said, uh, agreed with Clyburn that Biden was an honorary black man literally months after he critiqued him. Those those ends. So we're we're gonna get deeper into that honorary black person nonsense in a moment. <laughs> but I just really, really want to take a moment on this absolute commitment on the part of the Democratic Party leadership to be just so strictly anti-Bernie. And so and and it's anti-Bernie. And on top of that, and let me just 
Yeah. It's anti-Bernie, but it's really actually anti-progressivism. It's it's anti-moving to the left. They're you know, as much as people want to tout the Democrats as being a polar opposite of the Republicans, when you talk about policy, they're very anti-left. They they want they always hang more to the right whenever there's an election and there's a progressive candidate. Now, some can say Obama was progressive. He really wasn't, but I understand where that I understand that sentiment because he did his platform was about his moving America forward. Impressive. But then he um, got Biden actual- as his VP to balance. So, so but we know where this comes from. Mm-hmm. We know this comes from what the Democratic Party now has for the past 30 years considered its only way to win. This all, of course, started in the era of somewhere between Nixon and Reagan, mm-hmm. where it just became really, really, really apparent that you couldn't have, well, it, it's, it, it's kind of since Carter. Mm-hmm. So like you just couldn't, you just really could not have a person, no matter how much sense it made, or whatever the case may be, no matter how connected with the people the, the guy may be, or whatever the case may be, you can't have a candidate that's really all that progressive because you're going to lose a whole lot of the folks in the country. You're going to lose votes. You're not going to be able to get the person in. Um, and of course, since Reagan, and then again, since um, Bush Sr., you know, the Republicans are really good. I hate to say it, but the Republicans are really good with electing presidents. It is what it is. Well, they're and, they're good with. Um, they're different than the Democrats because Republicans don't. Um, I, I can't get the right word. I want to say coalesce. Is that uh, make comfortable? The Dem- the Republicans don't try to make Democratic Party members comfortable. They don't run on a platform of the compromise. Yeah, they don't. Democrats they don't, they don't reach across the aisle. Democrats run on a on a platform of compromise. Who because, can compromise? Because this is something that's worked, and it's it's something that can. So, I guess what I can say about the Democratic Party is that. Once they realize that something is a winning formula, it doesn't matter the fact that it only worked that once. They just keep on sticking with it. And it doesn't matter how many times or how many ways it is revealed. And especially with the actual voters showing you and telling you people protesting openly in the streets of what we want and don't want. Doesn't matter. If something worked one time, for example, Lyndon Johnson, (laughs) if something worked one time, you know, with being able to, you know, bring in, which was then, you know, like the Dixie Prads and bringing in progressives and all of these folks all at once, or like you'll have the progressive president, you'll have the Kennedy, but then you need the one to bring in the, the Southern conservatives. They made that formula work that one time and they've been swearing to God that that's what's going to work. And it doesn't matter how often we tell them and prove to them that that's not it. They keep holding to it and it worked again with, well, in a different way. So then, you know, after um, after Reagan, after Bush Sr., then it became apparent to them like, well, our, our candidates that we keep having are too progressive. Mm-hmm. They're alienating, you know, the, the conservatives, they're alienating country folks and whatever. So we need to bring in the centrist Democrat. And then so here comes Clinton, right? (laughs) Got to bring in the centrist Democrat. They are still writing that trope as if it's working and it's not. And and more to the point, 
at least with the Republican Party, if it wasn't for certain documentaries and certain films or whatever coming out, we really wouldn't know the inner workings of the party and how, you know, power dynamics shift among them and how things work. You know, if it wasn't for like the downfall of Roger Ailes and things like that, we otherwise wouldn't know. But for whatever reason, the Democrats, they just can't help themselves. <laughs> like the self-sabotage is ridiculous well, at this point. I don't like to call it self-sabotage because it's purposeful. I mean, the reason that they stick to centrist Democrats is because they can enact, they can be performative, performatively progressive, but there's a huge corporate interest in the Democratic Party. I mean, for example, um, it's all—it's already been kind of revealed out there that the guy who's helping run um, Biden's campaign as a company, and they also donate to the Trump campaign and various other Republican. So it's, it's really about the money and following the corporate interests, really. Oh, obviously. You know, and so when you have a, a person like Bernie who's saying, we're going to enact the wealth tax, and then you look at Biden's reaction to that, which is we're and, not going to change. And to distance ourselves more from corporations being able to sway and rule politics. But Biden's reaction to the wealth tax, and he and said actually, this. you know, like cap. Uh, <laughs> the amount that corporations can give to candidates and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, Biden's reaction to the wealth tax was we're not going to change that. At all. On multiple occasions, he said that. Um, when it's been, you know, when it's shown that, you know, like people like corporations like Amazon don't get taxed zero at all um, at for all. all of the revenue that they make. Um, but this has been a consistent um, piece to come out. So the same thing was revealed that Hillary said literally the same thing. She just didn't say it in public. She said it in the Bilderberg mm-hmm. meeting and somebody reported it and put it on Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, like the same exact thing. But this is what I mean by self-sabotage. It's they do the performativeness out in the front and then we find out. And it like... It used to be that we would find out after the election was over. Nah, we finding out in real time now. And a lot we're of that, seeing yeah. with it, like we're we're literally actively watching the Democratic Party crumble itself. Well, in the issue right before our eyes as this whole election is going on, and it's nuts. All of these people, like uh, Obama included, coming out. Nobody even asked your opinion, bro. But like, what? Hillary, well, you, you nobody Hillary. wants to hear what she's talking about. But then she just starts talking, and you know, talking about, oh, well, don't make me, don't make me get in the race. Well, and, Hillary and throwing is throwing her support behind. Biden. Hillary is like, funny because you have somebody like Bernie who. After he uh, ended his last race, he campaigned for her. I think it's like yes. what, fi- about 50 yes. some odd places he campaigned for her. Yes. But she's still holding on to that loss. And the issue with that is that now they're trying to feel better about themselves with Biden. But we'll see how that unfolds. But the issue is just the disconnecting. And um, I had uh, there is a stat and, you know, I can pull it up. I'm sure we're going to talk about this as time goes goes by. But there's an age gap. There's a difference. You have people over 50 who are going to vote centrist. And those people also are the same people, not the same, but that same demo votes conservative and Republican. Um, so we have just a strategy that's conflicting upon itself where Hillary won all the Southern states in the primary, just like Biden has. The issue is that those states always vote the conservative. And 
the, the thing that people are trying to tell them with a more progressive policy is if, if you go to these same places and tell people, hey, we can help you in these ways. Mm-hmm. But if you don't if you don't deviate from what the Republican person is saying, then they're just going to pick the Republican. You have mm-hmm. to you have to be able to give people options. Right. But that's against what the Democratic Party wants to do. They don't want to they don't want to they don't want to push more left. Um, before we get into even more deep uh, <laughs> um, pieces with this, I just want to you know blow through the, the few things that we missed. Um, so, of course, you know, by now that uh, the president has been impeached and then not impeached and then absolutely nothing happened and that's over. That's more, Um, let me just touch on that part. That's more of the Democratic Party not pressing upon more of the charges that could get him impeached. If they want to put him up there about getting funding from foreign places and really press that issue, then they would have to reveal some of the stuff that goes on behind the shadows with them. Um, So... The reason that he's not impeached is because not just because of Mitch McConnell and this and that. It's because the Democratic Party and DNC did not present all the evidence that they could have. So because, as we are saying, it is all entirely indicative of the absolute disconnect Mm -hmm. that these people have with their own electorate and Mm -hmm. and with the people, which they always say that they're, you know, a party of the people, but you're freaking not. And it's just abundantly clear now. And it's not just clear to those of us who are historians, those of us who are cultural analysts or anything like that, those of us who are sociologists and we do this shit for life. Mm -hmm. It's apparent to everyone now. And it's not just conjecture. No, the Democratic Party leadership the, on the national level, the Democratic Party leadership on the national level, they are on the side of corporations, period. And let me be very specific. This is what people are talking about when they talk about the establishment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, pro- I'm going to move us a little bit into another topic, but it, it's all relative. So people were going really hard on the more progressive um, people, people who like Bernie, things like that, because... They were saying the establishment. Bernie put out a tweet that said, you know, we're going to break beyond the Republican and Democratic establishment. And so you had a lot of uh, mainstream media and journalists who were invested in the Biden campaign or (laughs) that center part of the party come out and talk about, um, well, black people aren't the establishment and black people support Biden. How dare you call black people part of the establishment? Let's be very clear. When people are talking about the establishment, we are talking about the wealthy people who make, who run, who are behind the party, who have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo, and who who change the rules depending upon who's playing the game. That's who we're talking about with the establishment, not Let's black be folks. Abundantly clear here, and I don't know how many times we're going to say this in this podcast, or how many times we've already said it. White people do not need to be present in order for white supremacy to be speaking in the room. There you go. Okay. I, I think there's a whole lot of lack of class analysis mm-hmm. and of discussion of classism mm-hmm. among black folks. And I, I see the word elitism thrown around, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but literal discussion of literal classism and class division and class loyalties needs to be discussed because at the end of the day and this is what we were all you know writhing and striking through 
with um, the whole fallout after you know the the unbelievable passing um, Kobe, and then like the statements that were made by various uh, famous black folks, and you know them going at it yeah. um, tooth and nail, and the fa- and and I, I really loved what you said in terms of okay, can we all stop losing our shit over rich people fighting with other rich people? Hello. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't Nina matter. Turner, hello somebody. Yeah, if they didn't, it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that they came from us. Yeah. But at this point, <laughs> they have nothing to do with us. Let Snoop and Gail and whoever, let them argue with each other. Yeah. Let them fight that out. Hey, because at the end of the day, they took pictures together a few months back, a few years back. And guess what? A few months from now, they're going to be taking pictures together again. again. And we just going to be sitting here in fighting with each other and then split up friendships and family um, relationships over stupidness that they're arguing Thank about. You. And they have absolutely no investment in what's going on yeah. with the rest of us. Yeah. They couldn't care less unless we're buying some type of product that they're pushing. Exactly. And I saw somebody, they tweeted... Uh, so when Biden won the last uh, a few a couple of the states in the last primary, which happened uh, what last weekend, someone put black people are changing it again. We're pushing forward the Democratic Party, and um, a, a journalist by the name of Andre Demise, I really like, he uh, quote tweeted it, um, and basically said, "So what? So they can." Um, not give you any of the things that you need as far as right. the, as far as society or if another person is shot dead in the streets another president who's going to twiddle his hands and say my hands are tied you know like what are you like what are you so proud that you got here we and we have to as a people i get it we don't want to judge we don't be we don't want to be we don't want to be too judgmental on ourselves on our elders on certain parts of our demographics and i am of the part i am of the the mindset that we are not a monolith so when you see these people say black people do x y and z no mm-hmm. some do x y and z i'm not some representative of all of you know mm-hmm. um and so we have to break that mindset and kind of understand like yes on a lot of for- on a lot of places in this country we vote against our interests. We do things that are against our interests. To go back to the whole statement about being performative, it's not just the DMC that's performative. A lot of this activism and online stuff is all performative. It's it's, it's, it's not based in, in real life implementation. About yourself. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on, and we're we're gonna continue with this, but I do want to touch on real quick um, something that struck me that every election season it comes up every time. And now, let me preface this by saying. I am a voter. Yeah. I actively get my behind up, and especially for local elections, I get my behind up and I go vote for mm-hmm. things. Um, <laughs> so I'm speaking about a demographic of people that I don't belong to. Yeah. But I get them. You understand what I'm saying? And I think that a whole lot of black folks need to start doing more of that. I don't necessarily agree or hold the position or I don't practice this thing, but as your fellow Negro, I get you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I understand what you're saying. I'm not necessarily going to do that, but I get it. So, I, I, you know, we see these posts floating around and these opinions floating around about how um, it's the non-voters who lost the election for us. It's the non-voters who, um, you know, made Trump win and whatever. Um, I think that as a black person, 
if you make that, especially an African-American person whose ancestors were enslaved people in this country mm-hmm. in the past, I think that you are doing yourself a great disservice when you say that out of your mouth. Because the fact of the matter is, and this is not an opinion, this is <laughs> not conjecture, the way in which our president is elected in this country is the electoral college, period. Yeah, you need delegates. And the electoral college was created for the express purpose of supporting and or deciding and dealing with the institution of slavery in this country, period. Institution gone, we still vote in the same exact way. We're still using the same exact system. Everything about enslavement in this country in order to say that we are any so-called free, that slavery is over, we need to have abolished every single element in our country, especially in legislature, that supported that system. And if we don't, then that simply means that we're still operating under that system, even if it's only a small molecule. So what? Mm-hmm. But that's how our president is elected. Point blank, period. You cannot debate it because that just is what it is. And so if you're a black person and you're literally saying <laughs> that folks who don't vote are the reason why any type of president is elected, I don't really know what to tell you about the type of reality you're living in. But honey, it ain't the earth we own. Well, that, <laughs> and just to even expand on that, um, the Democratic Party and, you know, I, I vote. Listen, I vote every single election as much as I can. And I've mostly voted Democrat. I don't think I've. Well, no, I voted independent once, but I'm pretty much a vote Democratic. But the Democratic Party in itself, um, even in the last two primaries, they've run a campaign of the youth aren't voting. Yes, the youth are excited and um, they show up in droves for the progressive candidate, Bernie. They show up and it's more than anybody who shows up at Clinton or Biden's things. But the youth don't vote. These guys don't vote. They don't know about what's going on. Oh, if a certain uh, if if Latinos came out and voted a lot. Oh, Latinos don't really understand. Um, And then we see in the primaries, just in these last primaries, this is March 2020. um, We're seeing long lines and people being disenfranchised to vote in the Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. So. When people talk about non-votes and when people talk about people not voting, to be even more specific is we have to put more pressure on whoever our respective party is to stop with the disenfranchisement of voters because it only serves their purpose more. It serves their purpose to disenfranchise people. You get the people who aren't going, who are going to vote for the candidate the party doesn't want. We disenfranchise them. And then once our person wins, we say it was your fault. We won. So, I mean, too bad. You know, it, those kind of things are, you know, it, it's a whole it's more mental gymnastics. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, if, if the Democratic Party wanted to, I mean, and they have when Gillum and Abrams and these people lost their elections, it was a, it was all about disenfranchise. Mm-hmm. The Republicans are disenfranchising voters. But we've seen an instance voter where suppression, voter suppression, which, yeah. by the way, they've done zero about zero about. But we've seen since, an instance in order to hold anyone accountable. And we've been talking about yeah. this issue since Gore. But we see <laughs> but we see in an instance since Gore. they're willing to disenfranchise. They're willing to disenfranchise their own voters. Yes. 
Democrats yeah. are willing to, the, or the DNC rather, the Democratic establishment, yes, establishment. rather, is willing to do that. So we, we got to stop talking about non-voters because just to lay it out even more simply, you can't complain about non-voters and give them reasons to, to not, not vote. vote. And this is exactly my point, that when I look at the pie chart on that same article about non-voters losses the election, mm-hmm. the pie chart, which I can read, and hopefully we all can, I looked very clearly. I saw Hillary's slice of the pie, and it was a real big number. And then I saw Trump's slice of the pie, and it was a big number, but it was smaller than her number. Mm -hmm. But he still won. Now, you can't look at me as a person who can read and who can count and tell me that my vote counts when I can see that it doesn't. Yeah, as a, as a <laughs> like, the whole the whole thinking of that is, well, you know, like you said, Hillary won the popular vote. I think it's by like three million votes or something like that. She won the popular vote. And the reason people keep going on this whole trope about if more people voted, it's because somehow if you get more votes, that's going to influence the delegates to vote more whoever won that state. The problem with that thinking is how do I know that? It's a person right. I'm you not are a, you know, assuming that yeah. that however many, you know, millions of people who did not vote, you are assuming the way in which they would vote. Yeah. What if we rounded up all those folks and <laughs> made them vote and they all voted for Trump? You don't know what the hell was gonna happen. Yeah. So you can't assume that. Yeah, we've seen too many instances of people who won the popular vote and lost the election due to delegates and due to the electoral um vote. But to make it more current, we had a debate in which Warren, Buttigieg, and all of these people who are Democrat, you know, voters, mm-hmm. a last question of a debate was asked, would you change the electoral oh, process? God. Oh my God. And not one person not said they one would one. except for Uncle Bernie. Even Warren, who complained herself yes. about it. She's been talking about this since she was just an economist and historian in documentaries. When it get when it gets to that level, we just see these politicians and they I don't. Elizabeth Warren, oh my God. When it comes to like actually standing by what you believe in, the conviction is very little for a lot of politics. That sounds that sounds like it's kind of the, the theme here we're going on, but yeah, um, you know when. when and when the rubber reads the road, is that the the analogy there? I think that's why Bernie has a big uh, following and people yeah. love him because he just hasn't changed his his opinions for 40 years. So it's like, right. OK, he's yeah, consistency. Um, and, you know, Biden, he's been consistently racist. So, yes, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and incarcerating and disenfranchising black folks, which uh, the, the very last part of this pod. And we've already been talking a long time, I'm pretty sure. The last part of this pod, this episode we want to get into is what I'm going to call the soft shoe, the the get them Negroes um, on my side behavior um, <laughs> that we've been seeing um, in terms of that mythical creature, the black boat. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, guys. In 2007, Biden said, I mean, you got the first mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean and a nice looking guy talking about Obama. Uncle Joe. The first mainstream African-American who's articulate and clean. Hell, why do you say that, Uncle Joe? (laughs) He said a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) 
that's the whole thing. You know, they want people to vote, but you have a guy who is like flawed and incredibly flawed. And I know here's the argument. Everyone's flawed. There is no lesser of two evils. You see Trump is horrible. I get it, guys. But guess what? If you want to get people to vote and come out and believe in a revolution, you're going to need to put more people up who are not like Clinton and Biden, who literally have promoted racist policy, who have hurt desperately working class and lower class people. You're going to have to put somebody else up. I have to do it. I think um, just 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 the, the absolute level of pandering between these candidates in front of black folks and then also the pandering of certain groups of black folks in front of these candidates has been absolutely insane you've got folks black folks all over this country calling respectively trump and biden the next black president like why Why is that even a thing that's being said? Trump's black candidate, which includes, you know, all kinds of really deplorable personalities. (laughs) But you have Trump's black candidate who said, well, he was the first black, he's the first black president. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you had Clyburn and and Booker talk about uh, Biden as honorary black man. I just, I just, I just can't, I can't stomach it. so right, uh, what were you saying before that um, black folks, the elder elder black folks in South Carolina had voted overwhelmingly Biden yeah. in um, their primary, right? Yeah, the um, South in general. Yeah, yeah. and uh, of course, folks want to bring them to task. Can, we, can I just preface this by right. saying I am not cool. And I mean, this is the blackocracy, so I'm speaking from a black man point of view. I'm not cool with, let's say, uh, progressive and left-leaning Bernie supporters or just progressives in general trying to bring black people and black elders to task because from their perspective they don't have all the context right and I just don't like in anything I don't like to have an argument with my brother or sister and then include white people in it yeah. nope, it's just nope, not nope, for nope, me nope, that's not how I want to do it so I'm against so I'm against I'm against any <laughs> people I'm against um, any people who represent my political point of view of the white perspective (laughs) coming in and trying to shame my people. But with that being said, we we do have some things to talk about, folks. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, so, you know, folks had things to say, of course, about um, our older folks, our elders, um, you know, just really committing to and holding the party line and really believing that Biden and anybody like him is really for us and has, you know, the the right direction of where we need to be going. And then, of course, um, which will, you know, come back to it in a moment. But then, of course, you have um, the people who constantly say, oh, you can't judge them because they're elders. You know, there's always this, um, you know, they had to compromise all people who happen to be old. Not that they're actually respectable people, but (laughs) they're all people who happen to be old. In their era, they had to compromise to get things through and be. You know, they had to understand the system more and how the system works. It's, you know. Um, cute though. Yeah. So, uh, 
recently I read this status on Facebook from a young man. I'm not sure if he wants his name to be on our podcast, but if you're on my Facebook, what you can do is go on my Facebook and then you'll see the post because it's like right at the top and that's facebook.com backslash Sean Travis. Um, but I'm going to read this uh, really perfectly stated uh, piece from this gentleman. And he said, I'm nervous about the essentializing and romanticizing of our elders. And I say this as the son of a black mother who would kill me if I ever disrespected her or any older person in my family. I also say this as the grandson of a late grandmother who outrageously, who was outrageously abusive and tried to fight me the night before I graduated college. The older black people I know and have encountered are like all black people, vast, complex, and full of contradictions. I do not believe their ideas about politics and choices around voting are reductible to pragmatic calculations or familiarity with establishment politicians. In fact, some elders are committed to keeping things just as they are because they feel threatened by the same political revolution that made their access to the black and middle political leadership classes possible. Some own homes and care about the value of their property more than the value of poor people. Some frowned upon the Ferguson and Baltimore rebellions while applauding the civil rights movement at the same time, the same civil rights movement that they were not committed to when they were our age. Many are the spiritual salt that sustains our communities. Growing up, church mothers gave me peppermints and kisses that made the bittersweet, but some were mean, nasty, condescending, ageist, and more committed to talking down to young people than lifting us up. I've had countless experiences with older black pastors and veteran activists who treated me terribly because they neither like nor believe in young people. Our elders are motivated by a range of factors. Some are virtuous and others are not. They are, as Nietzsche said, all too human. Human indeed. Human Um, indeed. So what we're talking about here is the generational gap. Yeah. Between, you know, that exists in black culture at this point yeah and it's a real serious topic that really deserves attention Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know on the surface one would want to think that it presents a contradiction Mm -hmm. of you know being against self-preservation but i personally think it's actually revealing the true nature and true feelings of some black folks and of some black elders Unfortunately, it is not entirely endemic to blackness to be pro-black. Some part of blackness and the black experience is being a black person who's (laughs) anti-black and who's anti the rest of black people and who's anti black working class and poor people um, and those interests, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and it's more than just being white supremacist, although some part of that does exist embedded in there. just to really bring it into perspective, as the young man was saying, as the brother was saying, when you think back to, or if you look back to those periods before ours, mm-hmm. where those folks, some of them were still old then, but yeah. <laughs> you know, black folks, we live a long time, but um, some of those folks were still, you know, up in age then, but some of them at, who are elderly at this point they were young then they were us then Mm -hmm. and it's always um a myth and misconception and it is a false narrative that is has been spread for a long time that in the time of let's say 
you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. etc., that everybody was on board. Yeah. They were not. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, they were not. The majority of people who were actually for the movement, you saw them out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But so many other people, a large number of people, mm-hmm. stayed they as home, didn't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> if you were listening to the radio and TV at the time, it was passes of all colors, black especially, mm-hmm. coming out all out the side of their mouth, yeah. you know, on the airways and all other different types of ways. But we know that now. Um, for those of us who, and we're both from Nooks, you know, <laughs> we know now. We know. But <laughs> like, <laughs> we've all by now, you know, of course, seen the 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 absolutely epic, you know, Who Killed Malcolm X mm-hmm. uh, documentary series on Netflix. Um, we're not diving into that. Yeah, it's a lot. We're not. So let me just say that we're not. But I will say this, <laughs> that one thing that we did, and even I as a scholar, I didn't know or realize this at the time. But then also, you know, because the black Muslim community, they they are they're they're open and they're around us. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're you know, we more or less in our community, it's, you know, overwhelmingly yeah. almost Muslim, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very much embedded in our city and our culture and everything like that. It's normalized. It's, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. It's it's not anything that bothers anyone or has, you know, it's mm-hmm. normal. Like, a good chunk of the majority, if not all of our families, are Muslim. And it's yeah. nothing, right? But at the same time they do have like you know um opinions and everything among their own community and internally among themselves that the rest of us are not necessarily privy to and one thing that we definitely i can say at least for me was not privy to because when you think about you know minister malcolm the way that it's the way that it's talked about now the way that he's talked about now and at least my entire life yeah it, it, he is literally like the one and only black person in the entire black community who nobody, <laughs> and I mean nobody, on the surface, performatively on the surface, mm-hmm. in public conversation, nobody has a bad word to say about him. Nobody has a negative thing to say about him. Everybody absolutely loves Brother Malcolm. Point blank, period. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even the people who I otherwise would disagree with, you, you, you know, your faux taps and yeah. your, your super duper off-right conscious folks, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what side of the aisle any of us land on, we love us some Malcolm. Honey, come to find out, <laughs> whole lot of folks couldn't stand him back in the day when he was living. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just to hammer the point home that, you know, we constantly get this romanticizing, this romanticization of our elders and really our entire community as a whole. When the fact of the matter is, there's almost never been a point, if there was a point, where we were all with progressiveness. We're not. (laughs) We're flat out not. Everybody flat out has not been, even in the time of Marcus Garvey, with the droves and droves and droves and droves of folks, even just regular everyday folks who ended up committing themselves as Garveyites because, you know, the brother was out here moving and talking the good stuff. But you still had, even then, you had folks of all walks, more so upper and, you know, upper middle class black folks 
even you know my hero Dr. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois whatever they went at it like cats and dogs because yeah. like you know yeah. everybody wasn't on board I even mean, then they never have been there's always been that group of black folks and more so elder black folks mm-hmm. who they not with the progressive movement period yeah and I mean we see I mentioned this offline but you know when the whole uh, socialism and how when Bernie gave, uh, you know, props to Cuba's education system, which Obama also did because it's a socialist uh, system. We saw so many who were dedicated Democrats and a lot of uh, mainstream media, you know, Democrat, uh, you know, journalists and media people come out and speak against socialism. Um, Joanne Reed said that uh, to one of her guests, uh, we see how bad the Haitian revolution was for you. Things like, that's the first revolution in which black people were free. Like, what type of statement is that? Because it's this indoctrination. literally like- There's an indoctrination. generations of struggle that are still continuing to one statement? There's an indoctrination, especially in the center Democrat lane, that is trying to make revolution and socialism and these things evil. But what I tried to, you know, talking about the, the age gap, a lot of our black leaders who we all look at, like the Malcolms, um, like the Fred Hamptons, who all of a sudden in this year, there's so much interest in Fred Hampton and I love it. But we know that that movie's coming out. So I have to assume that some of that is around that. But I love that people are looking up who Fred Hampton was. But, you know, there are speeches from Fred and and Malcolm and Angela Davis and even Martin Luther King, who was a democratic socialist, um, saying that socialism is a benefit to black people. And if you want to question that, well, look at the successful socialist programs of the Black Panther Party. Um, You have to be able to sustain your community and do something to help um, your community progress because we see capitalism alone has been a detriment to black people because it's an automatic classist system. The wealthy benefit, the poor do not. (laughs) Yeah. So like we have to understand our history. So when people come out and just try to demonize people for loving socialism and things like that, black people specifically look at your history. And I mean, now we're talking about current existence. Yeah. And current existence, you know, and I mean, just like, you know, just pointed out, there's people who's who know our history and just don't really care because they don't want to see progress. The young man who I quoted there, a lot of people are just against change Mm -hmm. because they feel a way about, you know, somebody else benefiting but i didn't get a chance to very selfish reasons um or the reasons can be just as simple as i don't want to see you guys get what you need yeah. like it could be just as simple as that it doesn't have to be oh they know the most pragmatic way to do it let me be honest with you people i want to give my family lots of credit for their knowledge of political you know nature things but when we go to gatherings Cha. It's not, it's not that folks understand the intricacies of the political system. A lot of times they just take what they see for face value, you know? So if they see things or somebody says something on the media or giving us a suggestion, they just kind of hold on to it. And that's what a lot of people do. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm well-read, but a lot of things, you know, when I was younger, I just saw it and, oh, that's, yep, there you go. that's true. 
until I got and older. We were both on that. Yeah, until, until honest, I got older and I vetted my own information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were both on that. So, um, and and like one last thing that I want to like kind of bring this home with is uh, like I, I'm, it's something I go back to all the time that you know, peace and brother Mark Lamont Hill. He said a long time ago about black folks being in a perpetual state of survival mode. But like, at what point do we stop being in survival mode and do we start getting into thriving mode? Yeah. Because it's my belief that that's what all of this is showing. And quite often, and this bring this this ties in all of our topics we talked about before, like social media and things like that, topics we'll talk about in the future, that black folks just really show consistently a lot of us not all of us but enough of us for it to be an issue (laughs) there's this diehard commitment to our survival mode all senses and and um any type of self-preservation any type of logic just be damned to the point that we will not examine the things that we believe in, mm-hmm. live by, or invest ourselves in. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's the Bible. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's any sort of leader. It doesn't matter what type of philosophy it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And please believe me, I am not only critical of Christianity. Yeah, yeah. I actually love Christianity to a large degree. I am a very, very, very avid believer in um, Black liberation theology. So please don't get it twisted yeah. right now. Um I am absolutely critical of all of our various, you know, faith systems and walks of life and cultures and what have you, as I have lived and embodied many of them and still do. Um, But but it just like that just overwhelmingly happens so often. I can be among other folks in the nation of gods and earths, peace to gods, peace to the earth. I can be around Muslims. I can be around Christians. I can be around other um, Orisha devotees, other Aborishas. Mm. I can be around folks who are atheists. No matter what it is, there's always this overwhelming commitment to just not looking deeper into a thing. You don't know where it came from. You don't know the foundation of it. You don't know how to make sense of it, really. Like, you, you don't know... You know who created it you don't know what their purpose or intention was for creating it you know just just that, folks just yeah. really just not willing to look into a thing or know anything deeper about it but boy they will commit themselves <laughs> to it as yeah. if it is a life raft it, it reminds know? me of when Clyburn said about Joe Biden Biden knows us he knows us now for me <laughs> He knows us well. Obama was, he's, so a lot of that is he served under Obama. He was a white man who was conservative and had all these conservative uh, Democrat center leanings, but he served under Obama, right? That's the whole premise is that he was able to do that. Oh, how hard. But <laughs> he somehow this means that he knows us. My issue with that is, is like Jess said, if you dig deeper, yeah, he wrote the crime bill, which was responsible for the incarceration. Which, of, at the time, many black elders and black established folks well, that's, were in support of. That's Biden. So and if you look, design. if you look at Biden's all of his reactions to this, um, you know, one part is Biden has always showed his flaws and he's never really he doesn't come off as genuine at all. But one of his arguments is that 
Well, you had black leadership who helped me write it, and you had people across the aisles who but helped she, me write it. She's correct. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, to be even frank, Bernie Sanders also signed off on it. Um, but he also, if you go online, Bernie has a speech that he gave in which he explains the reason why he voted for it, which is because under the crime bill there were protections of violence against uh, violence against women, and he felt like. Because we this, already know how this goes. You can't get any type of uh, any type of legislature for the most part, but especially any type of progressive legislature that actually protects any type of Americans. Yeah. You can't get that through in um, our, you know, houses of legislature without TARP. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a Bernie speech so, online and he, he explains why he did it. And I mean, for all verifiable facts, that's all I got. I go, eh, okay, whatever. But you have someone like Biden who actually wrote the thing and he's very, I mean, he's been he's been confronted by it multiple times and he's very unapologetic, um, at least in his manner of apologizing. Uh, but you have to go back, Clyde Bernie, you know, he said he knows us. Um, and recently I saw Eddie Gloud on uh, Chris Hayes um, and he had a great, maybe I'll just insert the clip here in the audio, but he had a great response to that, which is, um, speaking of Biden, he said, I don't care how much he knows us. Um, I don't want people hugging on me. Um, I want policy, policy, policy. And that's literally what a lot of people are asking for is we're done with the platitudes. You know, recently um, Dyson came out and gave uh, an endorsement of Biden. And the whole thing is platitudes. It's him rhyming words. I, I mean, just, uh, oh my God. It's him rhyming words and giving platitudes. Nothing about policy. Um, and we as a people have to be more attentive towards the policies that the people that we vote for are trying to enact. Because what so many of the parties, Republicans and Democrats, they use us. Black vote, the black vote. Trump will get a few black folks in there and say, I got the black vote. Biden is talking about he got the black vote. They use us um, because of our influence on society. Um, and they try to treat us as a monolith. The problem is that we're not a monolith, but we also, in a lot of the sectors of those people who do support both those gentlemen, um, they're doing it based on platitudes and not on policy. And it has to be centered on policy. Um, those men and many who are like them are not putting forth policy that would help us as a people. And I mean, I don't need a policy that says this is the black folks policy. I need stuff that's going to help us economically, who's going to help us <laughs> progressively get, you know, stop the wealth inequality in this country. Mm -hmm. Black folks are the people that suffer most from wealth inequality. So if you have a candidate who's trying to stop that, it's going to benefit us. These are the lines we have to put together and, and, and bring together to understand that we can't keep giving these people endorsements. Um, just because they hug us and then stab us in the back, you know. Just me. What, what did, what did uh, Minister Malcolm say about sticking a knife nine inches into my back, pulling it out six, and calling it progress? There you go. You know. That's it. So with that being said, loved ones, this was a long pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to though. <laughs> we we, to we're an hour to. in. We're all past an hour. Hour nine. I think. Oh we yeah. Can, I think we can. Time. This is excellent time. Yeah, I think we can wrap it up here, really. Because the other things we were going to discuss, it's not over. We can still talk about Medicare for all. The debates are coming up. 
yeah. in a few days and by the time you hear this the debates will probably just have happened um but we're going to be back and we're going to talk about all of these uh interesting things um not just politics guys the last two have been politics he- well no just this one has been politics heavy the one before that we were talking about some social media climate going on things but um we'll try to keep it lighthearted and factual going forward we have some great topics and things we're going to discuss as time moves on we have so many topics yeah but and hopefully by the next time you hear this or by the time you hear this rather when we're done editing uh you know we'll all still be here and uh stay safe we'll be walking wash your hands wash your hands use sanitizer alcohol based Get in there, you know. Um, Remember, wait, front to back. Oh God. Front to back, and wash your hands. Wash your hands. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys soon. (laughs) Blackocracy.